Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to be discussing red-green in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. For those who don't necessarily watch my stream religiously, I'll note that red-green is not a deck I draft a lot. However, it is actually the third best performing archetype on 17 lands um, after blue-red and blue-white, uh, but it's drafted about two-thirds as often as either of those, roughly speaking. This is a deck that I have drafted a little bit and have certainly played against a lot, have some thoughts on. I also did some studying of the 17 land stats and recent trophy decks uh, with the archetype to get a sense of just how it's looking, what's performing well in general. I do think that this is a relatively straightforward archetype, which means that I think that it's one where the 17 land stats apply pretty well. My observations uh, are that I think red-green typically wants like a pretty smooth curve, like similar number of cards uh, at each casting cost, or at least like not, you know, the typical like lots and lots of one and two mana spells, and then like a few threes, a few fours or whatever. It, it's more like, I played a red-green deck in the uh, top eight of an RCQ recently, and my curve was like exactly equal numbers of two, three, and four mana spells. So a little bit more expensive than most decks, and yeah, you're just looking for like pretty balanced range there. The best common creatures at each, each cost tells you like a pretty good idea of what you're looking for in this deck. Um, so at two, you want Poison Dart Frog, the uh, two mana one one that taps for a man of any color with reach, and you can spend two mana to give it Death Touch. Armored Kin Collar, two and a green, three, three. If you have a dinosaur, you gain three life. Pathfinding Axe Jaw, the four mana, four, three, explore. Panicked Altasaur, the five mana, four, five, reach that can tap to make your, to deal two damage to your opponent. More on that later and Cavern Stomper. Those are the best at each casting cost. And like per 17 land stats, like each of those kind of performs better than like the next tier down at each of those costs. So decks will typically have all or most, like maybe missing one of these creatures at random or something, but uh, a lot of these things are, are gonna be in most red-green decks. There's like a second tier creature at uh, each cost at common that you're likely to play, but are all significantly lower priorities than the first tier. Again, because you're going for kind of like a balanced range and because they're like each of these places, like you're going for a balanced curve. And at each slot, there's like a premium and then some like replaceable things. So early on in the draft, I think you kind of want to take any of the premium ones over any of the second tier ones because you're like you have all these like different slots that you're trying to fill with the right cards so there's no reason to take like a not like a suboptimal card over an optimal card for a different role until you like already have you know the role filled so you're like looking for the like best stuff and then as you start to see what you're short on you could sub in Volatile Wanderglyph or Burning Sun Cavalry as acceptable non-frog common two-drops. Wanderglyph is the red 2-2 that can rummage when it becomes tapped, and Burning Sun Cavalry is the 2-2 that's a 3-3 if you have a dinosaur when it attacks or blocks. 
Plundering Pirate and River Herald Guide are backup threes. Plundering Pirate is the 3-2 that makes a treasure, and River, River Herald Guide is the 3-1 Vigilance that explores. Dino Tomato is um, a considerably worse 4-drop than Pathfinding Axe Draw, but can work. You could also substitute Rumbling Rock Slide instead. And then there's not really a suitable replacement at common for Panicked Altasaur. And Cavern Stomper, I guess the best you're going to get is the uh, Land Cycling Dinosaurs. Looking at trophy decks for red green, I noticed that like most of them have like two panicked altosaurs. And I think that panicked altosaur might actually be pretty crucial for red green in a way that's kind of analogous to how mineshaft spider is uh, for descend decks. These kind of like slower green decks can definitely get like a little beat up by like the blue white skies decks if you don't have a reach creature. But the flyers like don't do that much damage and you have like some removal to slow them down and stuff. Having like a big reach creature to stabilize can really frequently be the difference in a lot of matchups. And Altasaur, in addition to kind of giving you uh, reach coverage, also, you know, is bigger than most ground creatures and like a uh, Reach creature with higher toughness than power that is pretty big is reasonably likely to lead to a board stall. And being able to tap to do two damage to your opponent is a pretty good way to like come out ahead in a board stall. So despite looking pretty similar to the 5-4 reach that can do two damage to your opponent from March the Machine, Altasaur is just quite a bit better. The dinosaur synergy here, in addition to like 4-5 being just a much better stat line than 5-4 for this kind of creature means that it's it's very easy to like pattern match Altasaur to a weak card and not really be interested, but it does actually perform pretty well in this archetype specifically, more than in this format. Uh, I think that Red-Green is looking to play a much like bigger and somewhat slower game than most of the other red decks. So a lot of the card evaluation for red green despite red green being like a pretty straightforward deck the card evaluation in terms of like which cards you want are pretty different from like which cards are generically good across archetypes in the color especially with red so i'll get into some details about like specific cards that have pretty different rankings in red green than in other red decks in the format as a whole but Altasaur is a great example of a card that's really good in red green um, less good in other red decks due to just like the different context of what red is doing in red green compared to what red is doing in like the red artifact decks primarily as far as non-creatures at common your premium spells are a braid braid of course being when you're red three damage to any target or destroy an artifact instant Quality's Final Strike, instant target creature gets plus one power and then does damage equal to its power to target creature. And then uh, Staggering Size, uh, one in green, plus three, plus three, Trample. These are all like very, very, very close to as good as each other. All premium picks. You want most of them over most of the common creatures. Sometimes you might prefer a frog or an axe jaw to some of these, but... Uh, I would say like those five, these three spells, Axe and Frog, are like the top tier of commons for red green. I think that uh, it's easy to think of a braid as considerably better than Quality's Final Strike and Staggering Size, just like as a card, just like raw power level of the card. 
but in practice I've found that red-green can struggle with dealing with bigger creatures. That's just like historically across formats true that um, a good way to beat red-green decks is by playing a bigger creature than them. And so Staggering Size and Holly's Final Strike allow your creatures to like deal with bigger creatures in a way that uh, a braid often won't. Atali's Favor, the uh, two and a red enchant creature that discovers three and gives the creature a plus one, plus one trample, is good, but you need to be careful with it. You want to make sure that you have enough cheap creatures to put it on so that you can play it on turn three if that's your goal. And also, the more copies of Staggering Size you have, the worse Atali's Favor gets by quite a bit because Staggering Size isn't a card that you want to hit off Atali's Favor and also then you get into like redundant ways to give your creatures trample, uh, which certainly have diminishing returns, like your creature only needs trample once. Pay attention to how good Italia's Favor is in your deck. It can vary, but it's a strong card. I don't think you want to prioritize any of the other non-creature commons uh, outside of like those three premium ones, Abrade, Holly's Final Strike, and Staggering Size, but it's fine to end up with cards like Sunfire Torch, Malamet Scythe, Daring Discovery, Idol of the Deep King, Over the Edge, uh, you know, whatever random other non-creature commons you happen to end up with that makes sense in your deck. They're playable, but again, like these are cards that you're just gonna end up with some of over the course of the draft. But like I would take, you know, caves or like speculative pivots and stuff like that over them at most stages of the draft. You certainly might find toward the end of the draft that there's like some specific thing that you're lacking that one of these cards might fill but uh none of those are cards that like i'm going to be prioritizing early and i generally think that you shouldn't one note on daring discovery that's five mana three uh, up to three creatures can't block discover four in best of three uh that that top eight draft that i mentioned at the um rcq my sideboard had a couple of daring discoveries and um, I brought them in against uh, like a black green descend deck with a bunch of uh, death touch where like trading was quite bad. And uh, so we were pretty likely to get to a board stall and I was clearly the aggressive deck and could like get them kind of low on life before they stabilized. And then I was looking for a way to close the game without needing to like grind through all their recursion and daring discovery was kind of perfect for that. So if you're playing best of three, I think that's like a good use case for Daring Discovery to keep an eye out for in terms of like as its role as a sideboard card or whatever. Looking at uncommons, Triumphant Chomp, the red sorcery that does two damage or damage equal to the highest power among dinosaurs you control uh, to a creature. Dreadmaw's Ire, the plus two plus two trample, and if your creature damages the opponent, you kill an artifact, and Malamet Battleglyph, the one mana fight spell that puts a counter on your guy if you just played it, are all premium instants and sorceries for this deck. Um, you know, similar kind of tier, maybe ahead of the premium commons. Um, and then kind of across the curve, uh, there are uncommon offerings that are basically just better than the common offerings. So like at while you don't want to play the one mana commons, um, like including Tomb Raider, which is good in other decks, but not good in red green because you don't have enough artifacts typically. Once you get into cards like uh, Scene Out Scout and Exali's Lore Keeper, then you get uh, some playable one drops available to you. Um, at two, it's Quinth, 
the uh, red, green, gold card and belligerent yearling, the uh, three, two trampler for one in red are both like better than frog or the other two drops. At three, thrashing brontodon and scytheclaw raptor are better than kingcaller. At four, geological appraiser is better than axejaw. And then colossodactyl is like probably comparable to axejaw. I don't think you actually get an uncommon five drop that's better than um, Panic Deltasaur, getting back to just like how well Panic Deltasaur fits in this deck. And then at six, like um, I guess Dreadmaw is like a small upgrade over Cavern Stomper, but it's not really that big of a deal. But I think that any any upgrades you can make to the two and three, well, the one, two, and three slot among creatures specifically, each of those uncommons that you find to replace a common creature is going to make your deck considerably better. I think that a lot of the strength of red-green is going to depend, of course, on getting some of the rare dinosaurs, but uh, after that on getting these like high-impact um, cheap cards for the deck. Because the deck really does want a strong early game, and the commons don't really offer quite the strength of early game that it's looking for. And so supplementing with these uncommons is kind of like make or break for this archetype, in my opinion. Um, that was kind of my initial assessment of uh, the like color combination was seems very uncommon dependent, and I still largely agree with that. Overall, I think the archetype is like extremely simple and straightforward. Like you just play big dinosaurs, attack with them. Uh, sometimes a board stall is going to happen where you can't attack with like the cheaper ones that you played. And then you have like the bigger ones that can kind of attack into anything or big one plus trick that can attack into anything. Oh, another uh, replaceable um, or replacement level trick is the plus two plus oh make a treasure card i think that card's totally fine to play in these decks and yeah like in general you're tr positioning your deck to be able to attack but you're usually pretty happy if the board stalls and you're both just like putting creatures into play and every turn you play more power and toughness than your opponent does and then at some point you're like big things have good attacks because you just have much higher numbers than they do. Um, that doesn't always happen against the other decks that are designed to go long. Um, it's not terribly difficult for like a black green deck to go over the top of you in some way, or for like a blue white deck to uh, go over the top specifically most of the time with Master's Guide Mural. And of course, if you're like playing to a board stall, you need to make sure that you don't just die to flyers, which again is why Panic Deltasaur is so important to these decks. But uh, for the most part, uh, you're going to be pretty comfortable like going long on average, but you do want to make sure that you have aggressive draws to pressure the actual control decks in the format. You, the cave decks that can do like the any of the. The decks that I draft, basically, um, like the cave decks and the um, like recursion decks, uh, can kind of prey on this kind of deck if you take too long to get set up. I've played other games where my kind of like recursion decks just lose to my opponent, making a whole bunch of five fours before I can really like get my defenses down. If 
I happen to be low on death touch creatures or something like that. But there, there are definitely moments where red green needs to recognize its role as like the aggressive player in a matchup. Um, and that's where cards like staggering size end up being really important. While like the gameplay is straightforward, I think the biggest kind of like trap or like misstep available is if you're carrying too much of your knowledge about which red cards or which green cards you like from other archetypes where their valuation could change considerably in red green compared to in these other archetypes you could end up misprioritizing things and uh drafting like pretty suboptimal cards for your deck so for example like sun something militia the one three that can tap two things to do a damage to your opponent and um goblin tomb raider and uh the um, sunfire torch all of those cards are like pretty good in the red artifact aggro type decks but not so good in red green where you're kind of just like the all that stuff is kind of too small ball to really matter in your plan and you don't really have like the artifact synergies or the go wide synergies and so they just don't end up performing very well and so you can actually see this pretty clearly in uh, the 17 land stats where um, you can look at uh, just the perf performance overall of red commons. And, uh, you know, you'll see like Atali's favor at the top and you'll see like uh, Tomb Raider and Sunfire Militia pretty high up. And then if you switch to the performance of red commons in red and green decks, uh, you'll see Atali's Favor drops behind a Braid and Panicked Altasaur, and that Altasaur, uh, which is the eighth best in red overall, becomes the second best performing in red-green. Uh, again, because you're trying to play a bigger game, you're more interested in a board stall, you're more interested in just like having expensive cards, where like the artifact aggro decks are just not interested in a five-mana card. They need to be ending the game before that. On the other hand, you know, Goblin Tomb Raider is absolutely a premium card in, uh, like, the other red decks, but, like, actively bad, like, among the worst commons you could play in most red-green decks. With green, uh, it's a little bit different. Rankings of commons on 17 lands for green cards are basically identical to the rankings in red-green. Notably, those are both different than the rankings of green commons in like the kinds of green decks that I typically draft. So if you're coming from generally agreeing with the 17 land stats about which green cards are good, so you're already prioritizing cards like Quatley's Final Strike and Staggering Size and not prioritizing cards like Mineshaft Spider, then uh, your like general expectations should line up pretty well with what green, red green wants. But if you've been listening to this podcast and following my suggestions about like which green cards really matter, uh, like Mineshaft Spider, um, that's not a card that's going to work very well in red-green. It's going to be, uh, it's just going to have like the wrong stats and wrong position and wrong payoffs for uh, working with the other cards in the archetype. You really want Althusaur rather than Mineshaft Spider to be filling that role. And you want your cards to just like be better at attacking than that. That's what I got on red-green. 
going to turn it over to chat for uh, questions and discussion. While I'm doing that, I want to, as always, thank the newest uh, patrons um, at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So Wesley and Toby, thank you very much for the support. Really appreciate it. If anyone else is interested in supporting the podcast and getting some sweet benefits, uh, be sure to check out patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So, uh, chat, have any uh, questions for me? Could I describe an example of a hand I'd mulligan that I suspect most players would keep in red-green? <laughs> My first thought is no, I cannot do that. I think that, um, you know, part of uh, the nature of the archetype being pretty straightforward in a way where I, you know, trust, like, uh, a lot of the showings of 17 lands is that, like, I think that aggregate like play and aggregate approach to the deck is like pretty right like i don't have any like secret tips or tricks for this archetype because i do think you know like uh i kind of joked before this podcast about um uh, right before this podcast started i drafted a green black deck that i felt was like less doing the stuff like the normal it i i was short on graveyard enablers which meant that it was a pretty bad deck and i criticized it for looking too normal and then uh joked that um red green is kind of uh normie red black and um i think that this really feels that way where it's just like yeah you're not trying to do anything clever here you're just like you know smooth curve of like the highest quality creatures and spells you can find and you don't need like particular synergies beyond hey these all say dinosaur on them somewhere so as far as like hands you'd mulligan i'm sure there are hands that different people would like mulligan incorrectly but like i can't even say like oh you should mulligan this hand because it's not aggressive enough like it doesn't have a two drop or whatever when it's like the deck doesn't need to be that aggressive. Um, depending on your exact configuration, you might be pretty happy expecting, being like, yeah, I, I don't need a two drop. I'm just expecting to, you know, I have like a bunch of defensive creatures, king callers and altasaurs, and I'm just kind of trying to like play to my late game. Uh, when parsing between favor and size, so the cards that I noted uh, can kind of conflict, I'm assuming early on you're just taking either fairly highly. Yeah, that sounds true. Uh, because you're happy to have three of either, but not both. At what point does one become a higher priority and or do you have to get the sense of uh, which side of the favor spectrum you're heading toward? So I think in a lot of ways um, the cards are just filling a similar role. And it's not so much that you want only favor or only size as much as it is you want not too many of those two collectively that said like if i already have three or four staggering sizes then i think additional staggering sizes are going to be better than additional favors because the favor is going to like actively get worse based on the number of sizes that i have where the sizes are all gonna work as long as I like have enough creatures to cast them on. And then I guess somewhat comparably, like 
if I have like four favors, I'd rather have a fifth favor than a first size because favors into favors are good while favors into sizes are bad. So I guess in some ways it actually is you want to be one or the other. But like if I have like one or two, like if I have one of each, then a second of either seems fine. In general, the more two drops you have, the better favor is, I think. Because like sizing a two drop is not, I mean, just because favor is pretty good and you can like cast it on three. I hope somewhere in that ramble it gave some explanation, some answer about how to make the decision depending on where you are but I don't have a clear answer about um, precise numbers. Both of them are better the more creatures and fewer other non-creatures you have. So like, you know, all of the like abrades and strikes that you have are also counting against them just because you need to make sure that you have creatures to work with on the one hand. On the other hand, like abrade and, or, I mean, Size and strike play well together, where like size and a braid don't play well together. So uh, that's also maybe a factor. Yeah. Mentioned rumbling rock slide as a secondary four, but had a braid in a separate category with the two drops. Do they uh, fill different functions? I kind of think they do actually. Um, a braid is not a card that you're looking to cast um on turn two most of the time like sometimes you will but for the most part it's a card that you're like trying to double spell with and um you know trying to use uh at, like trying to take advantage of the fact that it's an instant to like generate something special with it like try to find a two for one try to find some kind of like blowout whereas because rock slide is a four mana sorcery I feel like a lot of the time it's just going to be the thing that you have to spend four mana on and you're just going to like kill whatever creature they randomly happen to have that's untapped so that you can attack with your two and three drops. Um, so to me, Rock Slide kind of fills in as another four because I think its play pattern is just cast this, spend your turn casting this on curve Um where a braid, I think, is like doing something else. I find myself losing to red green when playing control slash black based archetypes. What would you say are red green's weaknesses, especially with respect to black based archetypes? Death touch. The more uh, death cap marionettes you have, the less you'll lose to red green. Um, of course, red green can deal with this with a braid or the first strike trick um or torch or whatever but uh for the most part um i think the death touch things are like the hardest for red green to deal with because they just let you trade up on mana a lot and let you like get your recursive stuff going i think black just really wants to be able to like trade cards with the red green deck where the red green deck is hoping that it's things are enough bigger that the uh, black green creatures can't trade with them. Um, so death touch is a great way to make it impossible for them to like be enough bigger to not be able to trade outside of that. I mean, you know, they can't not trade with the tithing blade. 
Um, so that's another one that like works pretty well as far as just like making the game smaller. But yeah, I, I think just making sure that your cards line up in a way where you can exchange them is uh, crucial for black green's success against everyone really. I, I think the easiest way for black green to lose is if the opponent can ignore the cards that you've put into play rather than trading with them, then black green doesn't really like get its graveyard going and then kind of doesn't function, which is why like black green with outreach creatures can struggle with flyers and black green with not enough power can struggle with red green. I guess another uh, similar function to death touch is high power creatures like the 5-2 that discovers 3 when it dies lines up well against red green because they don't have a good way to deal with it without killing it. So you're going to get to discover and you're also just going to get to force a trade. Um, like there, even if they do have like an abrade or a church or something so they don't have to like trade a whole creature with it, you're still like trading with one of their cards and getting to discover. By the way, only, the only two drop I like to favor in red green is the burning cavalry. I, I think that what you probably really mean is that the two drop that you don't like to favor is Poison Dart Frog, which is significant because Poison Dart Frog is the two drop that you're most likely to prioritize. Um, and then, like, you know, it's it's fine but not super exciting to favor, like, a yearling because that already has Trample. Um, and so the idea here is, well, you might not have a two drop like you might not want to cast favor on a two even if you have one so it's better the more threes that you have to which i would say yeah that checks out and i think largely explains why favor is the best performing red card in other archetypes and lower in red green i think favor is just like not actually that great in red green because it doesn't work well with the twos and i would also say that like malamet brawler the two two that gives trample is a playable red-green card where most other green decks don't want it. And that's also something that you can like plausibly put Atali's favor on. But I mean, I like it is definitely true that uh, Atali's favor is not necessarily something that red-green is looking to cast on three. Like putting favor on a big dinosaur that doesn't have trample, uh, like an axe jaw or something is very good. You just need to make sure that you have a three to play and the favor is not stranded in your hand. But certainly, you know, I, I, it's not hard for me to uh, grant that the best use case for favor is you have like a few favors and a large number of three mana creatures. And your hope is to like curve out two drop, three drop, four drop creature. And then after that, you like favor something and then hit like another three off of it and then you like double spell maybe with like an abrade or a staggering size on turn five when you favored and like the, the optimal play pattern for favor is to play it later like that all makes sense to me it's just i'm trying to avoid the failure state where like i have it on like where i happen to draw it as my three mana spell and i can't play it and i can't do anything on three because i do think that it's like pretty important to curve out do i think does Playing like mana creatures plus cyclers lead to running fewer lands overall for the archetype. No, it doesn't. In general, I don't like decreasing lands uh, for land cyclers because the land cyclers uh, generally function best as expensive creatures with kind of like a buyout on cycling, especially when you're not trying to take advantage of them in your graveyard. And um, the mana dorks 
Again, I think you know this deck is playing a considerably higher curve than most archetypes in this format, and so you just like want your high land count to go with your uh, like mana creatures and land cyclers. I, I think if anything, Red Green's more likely to play more lands rather than fewer lands because of its higher curve. Back to the Mulligan question with a specific example. Uh, three Mountains, Sunfire Torch, Ancestor's Aid, Malamet Brawler, Folly's Final Strike. Uh, in a red-green deck with Pugnacious and Carnosaur, would I keep or mulligan this? Well, that's a list of cards that are almost all cards that you like don't want to prioritize very highly in your draft. Like it you have like you roughly have um three of the weakest cards in your deck, presumably, in your opening hand, and you don't have the ability to cast the brawler on two, and the torch and eight are both gonna like drop off in quality very quickly and you have like at least two really good rares that aren't in your opening hand so i i would be inclined to like mulligan and hope to have uh just higher qual card quality and also both of my colors rather than that hand all right um i think i'm going to wrap it there so thanks everyone for listening i will be back next week uh with more Lost Caverns of Ixalan, and I don't have anything else to add right now, so I'll see you then. Uh, thanks for listening, and bye for now, everyone. Prepare for light speed.